verse, we're going to begin in verse 12. And uh, one of the things I want to do real quick is just review where we were last week. And where we were last week was Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And we talked about um, that we are called to be a witness and that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and that we will be a witness. Not necessarily go witnessing. That's kind of a different deal. It can be kind of awkward and goofy. And if that's what you want to do, God bless you. Uh, but for most of us, it's just about authentically pointing people to Jesus. So I got a text this week. And um, what, what happened is, is this guy that I'm a friend with sent me a text that his daughter sent to him. And she's in her early 20s, and you're going to hear that coming out through the text. And so I didn't really ask her permission, and I don't want to embarrass her, so I won't say her name, but it's Mackenzie, and she's on the third row. So here it goes. So this is Mackenzie on the third row here, uh, texting her dad, and here's what she says. And I just thought it was pretty cool in line of last week's message. So, people always ask why I'm never freaking out before a test, and I always say, I pray. And we were sitting in class before this test, and I asked one girl, did you pray? Why are you nervous? And she said, no. And I don't know how to pray. So, I was like, do you, do you want me to pray for us? And she's like, yeah. And then people were like, wait, y'all are praying? And, like, it turned into everyone in class holding hands and me praying for, like, 50 people. So, you can see the 20-year-old girl there, right? Like, like, like. I was nervous when it turned into everyone, not three of us, but it was cool. Now that, that is not, that's being a witness. That's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power, and you will be a witness. And so um, that, that was what we talked about last week, and that's what we have been called to do. And so this week, what we're going to talk about is the will of God. But what's going on, what we're going to pick up in the text here in just a second is, um, the disciples, now that they have been promised the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, um, they've got some work to do, just like in starting anything, they've got to assemble the team. The majority of their team has been assembled, but one guy sort of got fired. His name's Judas Scared. You'll, you'll see a little about him in a minute. But they're going to have to replace him. And so they're gathering together, and essentially what they're trying to figure out is what's God's will for us. And let me just tell you, um, probably, it probably has to do with the age of our church. You know, we have a relatively young church, especially compared to churches. You know, we're, we're, we have a pretty young median age. And one of the primary questions that I get asked is, what is God's will for my life? How do I determine what the will of God is for my life? And that's everything from... Where do I go to college? To what should I, I do with my career? Or is he the one? You know how I feel about that. Um, uh, should I stay in this career? Should I move? Do I take this job opportunity? How do I know and do the will of God? And what we're going to learn here from the text in, in Acts chapter one, verses twelve and following, is how to know and do the will of God by observing how these eleven apostles understood and acted out on God's will. So, beginning in verse 12. And they, that's the, um, the apostles, and they returned to Jerusalem. Now, here, first things first, the reason they returned to Jerusalem, if you remember last week, is because Jesus, just before he ascends in heaven, says, go back to Jerusalem. So, first and foremost, if you want to know the will of God, be obedient to what you know you're supposed to do. That, that's huge. Some of you, that's all you need to know tonight. Um, you can't expect the God, God to give you some sort of specific revelation about your life if you're not obedient to the general revelation that he's given all of us. So you want to know what God's will is for your life? Uh, his will is that you would love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. His will for your life is that you would love your neighbor as yourself. His will for your life is that you would love Jesus. I mean, just, you start with the basics, and then maybe God will show up and, and do something specific in, in your life. And so they return to Jerusalem. So obedience is the beginning of knowing the will of God. They return to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, the Sabbath day journey away. That means it's a, a short walk. Verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where, where they were staying. Peter and John and James, Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas, the son of James, not Judas Iscariot. He's somewhere else. And if you'll count that up, that's 11. Remember, there was 12. Well, now there's 11. They're down to 11. Verse 14. And these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. So, um, you want to know the will of God? These guys were devoting themselves to prayer. Not saying they're prayers, but devoting themselves to prayer. And, 
And we're devoted to all kinds of things, aren't we? I mean, you get devoted to the things that you're into. And I'm kind of almost embarrassed to ask, would you say that you're through David. 
So the Bible thinks that the Bible is the Word of God. That, that's important. The Bible claims about itself that all Scripture, like from the beginning to the very end, all Scripture is God-breathed. And, and that, that's what our church believes. That all Scripture is God-breathed and useful. I mean, I believe it covered and covered. I even believe the letter's genuine. You know what I mean? That's, that's what we're talking about here. And that's what the apostles believe. And so, he says that, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before him by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Now, he's going to begin to quote a couple of verses, and we'll get to those in a second. But essentially, Judas is going to stand up and say, Hey, we've got to fill this spot. But he says, The reason Judas betrayed Jesus is because Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, was a fulfillment of the prophecy of the scriptures. Now, this is where the kind of your head will begin to explode a little bit, right? Because when you begin to think about God's sovereign will, and you begin to think about a particular incident like Judas betraying Jesus, and then you get Peter saying, well, he had to because it was a fulfillment of Scripture. If, if you're a thinking person, and, and I know, you know, in church, that, um, not always, but, but just for a second, okay, just for a second, lightning, I don't think it's going to strike as a good though. Judas have a choice? I mean, if God is sovereign over all things, and if somebody had to betray him, then does Judas even have a choice? And, and when you begin to pray about God's will, haven't you ever, as you're praying, you begin to think, well, why am I even praying? I mean, if God's in charge, and God knows what he's going to do, and he's got the whole world in his hands, then, then why would I even pray? I mean, he knows what he's going to do, right? He spoke the stars into existence. He spoke bees into existence. Did God already have a predetermined outcome, and if he already knows the end, then it might be devoted in prayer. Um, it's God's will. Maybe, maybe some of you have heard it this way. Uh, that you need to be in the center of God's will. Have you ever heard that phrase? That you've got to be in the center of God's will. Anybody? I'm the only person ever raised like you made it. Come on, put it off. Okay. All right. So, so I would always think, well, is there a center of God's will? And is the, is the periphery of God's will, less God's will, than the center of God's will? Like, if you're praying about a college to go to, and obviously, you know, and you're thinking, okay, state of Georgia, I think that's probably where I'm going to go. And, and, and the University of Georgia would be the center of God's will, and then Georgia Southern is still within God's will, but not exactly. And then Georgia Tech is quite out of God's will, and there's like this. Is that how it works? And then if you kind of begin to go along that way, um, I was always afraid, especially younger, high school, college, I was afraid to get out of God's will early as if God's will was like this train track. And what happens if you get off track way back in the day? Uh-oh. If I don't go to the right college, if I don't do the right career, if I, those kind of things, if I get out of the will of God back here, it, am I just doomed forever? I mean, is the ripple effect just like, well, you messed up in the fourth grade? You were outside of my will, and if you get off track and you get back on track, I mean, is that how God's will works? Or is God's will more like horseshoes? You just keep throwing, and you, you get kind of close, but you get many more tries to keep jumping them down there, and occasionally, somehow, by God's will, you get a ringer, and you're like, sweet, how'd you do that? I don't know, I've been doing it the same way the whole time, and that one, I got a ringer. Is that what God's will is like? And so, if, if, if God is sovereign, and let me just tell you, He is sovereign. Yes and amen. But I think sometimes what we do, especially Bible nerds, right? Uh, what we do is we blame God's sovereignty for our lack of being devoted to God's instruction. Right? And if, and if God, and I've heard people ask me, so if God's in charge of all things and knows all things, and even knows when I'm going to pray before I say it, I pray. Well, um, do you think you're making like a list to get to Santa Claus? And you probably should. Maybe prayer is not about just getting what you want. Maybe prayer is about that you didn't know God. That's a totally different deal. So, um, I'm just going to leave that hanging for a second. We're going to come back to it because the scripture is going to address it, particularly to Judas in a little while. And so, okay, go to verse 17. Now, uh, Peter stood up, you know, he said, the Bible has to be fulfilled. He's going to quote Psalm chapter 69, verse 25. It says this, for he, talking about Judas, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Verse 18. And now this man, talking about Judas, this is going to get a little more graphic. And if you do Bible 4 and you love verses like this. Now this man acquired his field uh, with the reward of his wickedness and fallen heavily. 
God's going to let you know? I mean, I don't know. Typically, he gives me just enough. Just enough. That's it. In fact, um, I had lunch with a very good friend of mine today, and we were just talking about the plans God has for me that have been amazing for me. And uh, I had the opportunity just in the last couple of weeks to spend some one-on-one time with some pastors that I just really look up to, some very, very, very influential pastors in our country, and, and they've all written books and all those kinds of things. And then he and I were just talking about, you know, four years ago, you were planning youth camp. That's what you were doing. And I had I never had any idea that this was a part of God's plan for me. Never had any idea. You know why? Because, man, I would have messed it up. I would have messed it up. And some of us think, Lord, if you would just be clear, that's what I would do.
great example. Be a great place to start. Because one of the things that's true is that God wouldn't tell you specifically something different than he's told all of the rest of us in his word. He had his first and told us. And secondly, you check with anybody else that God talks to, that might be a good idea. I remember seeing this girl in college and she came to me and said, God told me it's time for me to get married. So we're breaking up. I mean, what does that mean? So does that mean you don't mean nothing? All right. And you know how I know God didn't tell her that? Because my wife is sitting right here and it ain't her. So obviously, either, either she was lying or God was lying. That's why I'm going to lie. So, of all 
Judas turned aside. Now, I'm going to leave where I was. I'm going to come back way to the beginning. Remember the whole part about God's will? Did Judas even have a choice? Well, in the beginning of the text, it didn't look like Judas didn't really have a choice. He was just kind of on. He had things that told him the scripture. It, it kind of looked like God's will was more like a train track, and Judas just kind of, he, he was kind of born screwed. And, you know, kind of was a tough life to be Judas. But in this, we get a follow-up here, and it, it looks like Judas had a major choice. Because it, it clearly says here that Judas decided, or Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So which one is it? So let me just try to clear it up a little bit. It's kind of like a fair word, not a lie. But this is a tension that, that should never be resolved. Is God sovereign?
started anything, you know that it's kind of like when you ran in your first apartment and you scrape it all that money, you know, and you put down the other, they made you pay the first month's rent and the last month's rent, and then you did that, you're like, oh my God, I'm out, awesome, and then you're like, uh-oh, I can't turn the lights on, you know, and, and so I'm not trying to tell you this to get the, please don't get, like, I'm going back to pay